I'd love to invite you to take your Bible and turn with me this morning to the Gospel according to John. John chapter 13. We're going to pick up our reading there at the 21st verse. John chapter 13, beginning at verse 21. Um, the pews have the ESV, and I'm going to be using this morning the, the New International. So what I read is probably going to vary slightly from what you're reading but it's still going to be the same message. So I just encourage you to listen and then compare, even as we read. What's happening in this passage is this. Jesus has just washed His disciples' feet, and following that, He's, he's given some instruction. And, uh, and we pick up the reading after He's given a little bit of that instruction. So chapter 13, verse 21. After Jesus had said this, he was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It's the one to whom I give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. At that point, we're going to end our reading of God's word. Friends, I'd love to encourage you to keep your Bible out or at least to, to think about what it is that we're dealing with. Um, I had assumed that you would have message notes this morning. You don't have, so let me just try to talk you through those message notes, and I hope I can do it in a way that will help you stay with me every step of the way, just, just as, a, as information to you. Uh, years ago, I was on a mission trip in, uh, in Honduras. And it was a beautiful, beautiful evening, and, and there was about 25 or 30 of us sitting out under a beautiful full moon, and, 
and we were just sitting there, and there was a young man sitting next to me who was college age. And, and so we're sitting there, not talking about anything, or, you know, just enjoying the outdoors. And he leaned over and he said to me, Pastor, thank you for putting message notes in the bulletin. And I said, well, you're welcome, but is that important to you? And then he said this, and he about blew me away. He said, you wouldn't know it, but I have a learning disability. And he said, if you didn't put those message notes in the bulletin, there's no way I'd be able to stay with you. From that day till this, I've done my best to provide message notes so that, so that those people who they help, and by the way, they don't help everybody, but for the people that they help, hopefully they, they can use them and fill them out. And um, So that's usually been my, my goal. So let me just try to talk through my message notes and hope that they help you this morning. I want to start with what's the background? What's going on here in John chapter 13? We're not Jewish, so it's kind of hard for us to understand. The disciples are celebrating with Jesus the Passover. What is the Passover? I want you to think about that. It's a Jewish celebration. (laughs) The Jewish people were slaves in Egypt. And God marvelously and miraculously set them free and led them out of slavery and into freedom all the way to the promised land. And that's the Passover. That's, that's what they celebrate. I don't know what you do at Christmas time, but for us at Christmas time, my daughter and her family come from Chicago and my son comes up from Grand Rapids and, and we sit around a table and we have a big meal and we laugh together and we sing together and we pray together and we, we just celebrate together and it's a, it's a grand and a glorious time. That's very much what it was like here in John chapter 13 when Jesus is meeting with his disciples at the Passover, but he dropped a bomb on the celebration. I want you to think about that a second. What did Jesus say? Think about this. They're, they're together, and I want to say they're sitting at the table. They're not. They're reclining. They, they would have laid at the table. And, and Jesus says to all of his disciples, I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't come. Now, how do you suppose that hit the disciples? If, if you had left your vocation, if you had left everything that, that you were familiar with in your life and you left to follow a rabbi like Jesus, you left everything. And now all of a sudden he says, I'm going away and where I'm going, you can't come. They're probably saying, are you going to Egypt or where are you going? What do you mean? Hey, wait a minute. We've left everything to follow and, and you're going somewhere and, and we can't come with you? Where are you going? That's what Peter said to him. Where are you going? And, and Peter says to him, I'll follow you anywhere, even if it means death. And Jesus says, uh, no, that's just not true. Peter, before the sun comes up tomorrow, you will have denied me not once, not twice, but three times. You'll even, you'll even swear that you don't even know who I am. So don't tell me that you're going to follow me, because you're not. What's Jesus really saying, you know? I'm going to die. By this time tomorrow night, I'll be in the tomb. Uh, he's well aware that he's going to be arrested He's going to go through an incredible series of trials. 
and then they're going to beat him to a point where he's going to almost die from the beating, and then they're going to nail him to a cross. And he knows all of that, and he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving you. I'm, I'm going away. Where I'm going, you can't come. It's not your time to die, but it's my time to die. So, so guys, hang in there, but I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. That's, that's the context of what we're dealing with. And right in the middle of that context, he gave his disciples a brand new command that he's never given before. And that command is in John chapter 13, 34, and 35, the way it was just very, very well handled with the children's message. <laughs> he said, uh, a new command I give you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, everybody will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. Could we just back up and sort of walk through that command little by little by little? Number one, he said, it's a new command. And I don't know how much you've thought about this, but virtually everything Jesus taught wasn't new. It comes right out of the Old Testament. The Old Testament isn't somehow done away with and now everything's brand new. Jesus built on it. When he was asked, what's the most important thing in, in, in our relationship with God? Or what's the most important thing? What did he say? He, he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. By the way, there's a second most important thing, and that comes right out of Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not new. <laughs> that's, that's centuries old. But that's, that's consistent with the teachings of Jesus. But now all of a sudden he said, but tonight, the last night of my life, the night that I'm, I'm going away soon, I'm giving you a brand new command. And by the way, he said, it's a, a command. He did not say to them, Hey, guys, I want you to think this over. Um, I'm going to suggest something, and, and I want you guys to talk it over, and if you agree, vote on it. And he didn't say that. He said, I give you a brand new command. I expect you to live like this. <laughs> I want us to talk about why that's so extremely important. Okay? It's a command. It's not a suggestion. So... First of all, a new command I give you, and then what is the command? Love one another. If you have your Bible out, would you turn back with me to Matthew's Gospel? Matthew chapter 10. What I want to do is simply read there the list of names of the 12 apostles that he was with. And I want you to think this through with me just a little bit, okay? Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to read the first four verses. Listen to, uh, to Matthew and what it says. Matthew 10, beginning at verse 1. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. <laughs> And Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let's back up now and think about those a little bit. Think about the first four that are listed, Andrew and Peter and James and John. What we know about them is that they were, they were fishermen. That's how they made their living. Um, 
Jesus called them, they left their nets, they left their boats and just went and followed Jesus. What we know about these guys is that these four very likely grew up going to, to synagogue school. Just grew up as good, solid Jewish boys. And then Jesus called them and they left everything and they followed Jesus. And then you go a little further and you read that, that one of them is Matthew. And what do you know about Matthew? He's a tax collector. <laughs> Friends, one of the churches I served downstate had a, a man, an elder that was a part of the church who worked for the IRS. His name is Dick. He's very gregarious, very outgoing. Dick's the kind of a guy that would stand at the door of the church and, and meet people as they came in and, and try to meet new people, and he would strike up conversations with them and, and, and get to know them. And, and, and he told me that, you know, he would meet new people, and, hi, my name is Dick, what's your name? And, and you know, are you married and have children? And all of those questions. And, hey, where do you work? And, and then periodically they would say to him, where do you work? And he would say, well, I work for the IRS. And he said, not often, but periodically, people would literally turn around and walk away. Wonder why? Guilty conscience or <laughs> afraid they're going to get caught? Or why would you just turn around and walk away? But he said, he said, I don't know why, but some people just turn around and walk away. Now, Dick worked for a legitimate, at least I think it's legitimate, agency here for our country. Did Matthew? I want you to think about that. Are we occupied? Is there a conquering army that has conquered us and is holding us in subservience? No. But Rome had conquered Israel, and Rome taxed the people heavily. And instead of them taxing them themselves, they got traitors from the nation to betray their own people and to collect the taxes. And that's Matthew. Have you thought about that? He's a traitor to the Jewish people. <laughs> Scripture doesn't tell us this, but I think this would have happened. Peter's a very uh, self-assertive sort of outgoing person. And I'm sure that after Jesus called Matthew, Peter probably said, Lord, could we go for a walk together? And he probably put his arm around him and said, Jesus, uh, you know, the last disciple you called this Matthew dude, I just need to let you know that's not going to work. He's a tax collector, and I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but, but they just don't fit with us. And I'm sure Jesus had to say to Peter, Put a sock in it, Peter. I chose him. I know what I'm doing. Uh, hang in there, okay? Go with me on this. My daughter gave me a, a gift um, last Christmas. And that gift is, is something simply called Chosen. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a video series about, about the Gospels, about the disciples, about Jesus. Um, I'm not telling you I agree with everything that's in it, but what I can tell you is this. Every time that my wife and I have sat down and watched one of those, one of those episodes, it has led to an incredible conversation. And one of the things that, it has just, that has showed me more clearly than I've ever thought about before is the, is the disparity between the disciples. If you still have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 10, what's the second to the last disciple? Who is it? 
Who is it? Simon the what? What's a zealot? A zealot is a trained assassin. Are you aware of that? (laughs) Who are the zealots? They are people that hate Rome with a passion, and they're doing their best to to formate, to, to... to, to get Israel to rise up, to rebel. They're trained. They're going to go out, and, and if they can, they're going to kill Roman soldiers. And better yet, if they could get their hands on Pilate, they would kill him in the dark because they're trained assassins. Now, I want you to think that through. He's one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Do you understand why on the last night of the life of Jesus, he would say to his disciples, I've got a new command for you guys. You need to love each other. And I'm telling you, you need to love each other the way I love you. (laughs) Because by nature, these guys are not coming together. They're going apart. Do you understand that? That's why he would say what he said to them. Now, in my notes, it says... uh, We're going to consider Jesus' disciples and how different they were. And then it's, how has God loved you? And and what Jesus said is, I want you to love the way I've loved. When I was preparing this message, I had a a blank piece of paper, and I started writing down. These are ways that, that God shows His love, ways that I could read right in Scripture. And as I prayed over this message, I just, I really felt strongly that God was saying, that's not what I want you to share. What I want you to share is this. How did God love you, Rod Camrath? So if you'll be patient with me, I'd like to just explain how God has loved me. Let me just explain it. We'll go from there, okay? I grew up in a, in a wild cowboy town out in North Dakota. You can talk to me about this later if you want to. Literally, there's been a movie made about that town. It's almost a ghost town today, but some incredible things have happened there over the last 10 or 20 years. But I grew up in that town, and it was a wild cowboy town. But my mom and dad were Christians. And so if the church was open, we were in church. Uh, we went Sunday morning. We started with Sunday school, and then we went to worship service and had Sunday afternoon off. And Sunday evening, we went back to church again. And, and on Wednesday afternoon, I, I went to catechism class. My guess is that a whole host of you associate with that. You say, I grew up the same way. I don't know why. I'm not going to try to even figure that one out. But for some reason, I really rebelled against all of that. And even already when I was in grade school, I, I was rebelling against that and wanting to run with the fast kids at, at school and, and wanting to do things that I knew my parents would kill me if they found out about. And uh, when I was going into my sophomore year of high school, I went to Bible camp. I don't know how well you, you can picture the, the geography of the United States, but I grew up in North Dakota, and there's a, there's a line of states from North Dakota straight down to Texas. All of the kids in our denomination from those states came to the Black Hills of South Dakota in, in the summertime for something we called Bible camp. You may call it by a different name, but that's what we call it, was Bible camp. And so... Going into my sophomore year of high school, I went to Bible camp for the same reason all boys go to Bible camp. Her name was Brenda. And uh, I had met Brenda the year before. Young people, some of you are not going to understand this at all. 
when I grew up, we didn't have a phone. And I'm not talking about a cell phone. I'm talking about a telephone. My parents told me we had one before the Second World War, but we lost it during the war, and we never got it back. So, so the whole time I grew up in North Dakota, we never had a telephone, so I couldn't call Brenda. So for a year, she and I wrote to each other. Pen pals, I guess you'd say. I'd met her the year before, and... Uh, and was looking forward to seeing her that, that year. I went to, to camp. When I got to camp, she wasn't there and her brother was. And her brother simply said this, a family emergency came up at home and dad asked Brenda to stay home so she's not here. That meant I had a whole week with not a whole lot to do. My best friend who I was there with, a, a guy by the name of Wayne, the girl he came to meet, Marlene, she was there. So... He was, you know, he was busy with her, but now I had nothing to do. Out of sheer boredom, I chatted with the, uh, with the, uh, the chaplain. It's a pastor from California. And, and this is what he said to me. I want you to think about this. This is it. At the beginning of the conversation, he said this, Rod, there are two roads in life. One leads to heaven and one leads to hell. Which road are you on? Isn't that subtle? <laughs> Not subtle at all. Can't get much more straightforward than that. But he didn't let me answer. He just kept talking. And then he said some things like this to me. Rod, do you understand that God loves you? And I said, no, not really. I probably had heard that in my church. I probably was taught that in Sunday school. But it didn't register at all. And so I didn't feel that at all. And then he said this, Rod, do you understand that both you and God have a problem? And I said, what's that? Well, he said, you're a human being like me. And he said, all human beings have sinned. I related to that. I knew what he was talking about there. And he says, because of that sin, you're separated from God. And that means that if you stay that way, you would spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And he said, but God loved you so much that he's got just one son, and he let that one son empty himself and, and leave heaven, come to this earth and, and teach and live and ultimately die to pay the penalty for your sins and then rise again from the dead. And he offers that salvation to every human being on earth. But it's only good for those who will accept it. And then he said to me, Rod, will you accept this gift of salvation? He said, I'm going to pray, and then I would ask you to pray. And he prayed, and I did not. He was very patient, and he explained that whole thing one more time. And he said, would you pray with me? And he prayed, and I did not. And he said, you don't have to pray with me here where we're at in my cabin. He said, you can go out into the, 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 the hills, into the pine trees, and, and, you can, and you can do this by yourself. You don't have to do it with me. He says, I want to just pray one more time, and, and then let you go. What he didn't know was this, why didn't I respond because I was well aware that if I responded, 
my whole lifestyle would have to change. The, the rebellious things I was doing, the kids I was running with, the things we were doing, I'd have to stop doing all that. And I was, I was hanging on to that stuff. I don't want to let it go. And that third time that he prayed, <laughs> something inside of me broke. And instead of clutching, I, I just, it's almost like my hands got pried open. And I, I let go. I have a brother that's uh, about four years older than I am. I grew up probably like some of you did. If I ever cried, he would beat me. So I had learned you don't ever cry. And that day, I just wept. I sat in that man's, in that man's room, and I just wept. And I asked God to forgive me. God could have sent me to hell and said, Rod, I wash my hands of a rebellious kid like you. Your parents have taught you. Your church has taught you. Your Sunday school teacher has taught you. You've had every, every possibility. And, and, and Rod, I'm sick and tired of your rebellion and spend eternity in hell and see if I care. That's not what he did. Brought me to faith in himself. I wish so much that right now we had the time and you had the courage. And I wish we could just turn the microphone on and hand it down every row and, just, and, and every one of us hear our story. Because what I know as a pastor is this. <laughs> Everybody here has got a different story than mine. If my wife was here and she shared her story with you, they're not even remotely similar she came to know Jesus as a little girl, six years old, sitting on the kitchen table listening to the radio and, and lived a Christian life ever after that. I thank God for that, but that's just so radically different than my story. And your story would be different than both of ours. And I, it would be fun to just share those. For me, one of the most exciting things is just hearing your stories. I, that's one of the things I love most about ministry. I'm going to go on and say... What he said is this, a new command I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another. How do we go about showing that love? Let me just go through a, a list of ways that we go about showing that love. Number one is this, by caring for one another in our pain, surgeries, death, illnesses, relationship failures, wayward children, etc., like to give a compliment to basically all of the Christians here in northern Michigan. I've, I've had a chance to be at a number of different churches up here. You're good at this. Why this morning did your elders just ask me to tell you about a couple of, of prayer concerns? Because you'll pray about that. You're good at that. And that's one of the ways that we show love. We, we, we care about people that are going through pain. Number two, by listening to others when we hold a difference of opinion. Did you hear that? By listening to others when we hold a difference of opinion. I'm 75 years old. I, I'm well aware there are people here older than that. But never in my life have I seen what I'm seeing now. The venom between Republicans and Democrats? I can't believe it. The name-calling, the, the threats, 
sometimes the violence. I, I never dreamed I'd live to see a day when Supreme Court justices had people marching in front of their homes and ready to, to threaten them with their life. I, I never dreamed I'd see that. And, and that's when we live. Now I'm asking you to think about that. Um, are, are Republicans and Democrats as far apart as the disciples of Jesus? <laughs> we are not. Republicans and Democrats, I believe both want, want the best for the country some of the time. I have to admit, some of the time I think all they want is power. But, but I think that ultimately they're saying we want our country to move forward. But that's not all, what all of the Jesus' disciples wanted. And if, and if he could say to them, you guys need to love each other, and, and they could do that, then we can do it as well. I have a good friend who's a solid, solid Republican, and, and I was chatting with him. He said to me, something that breaks my heart is he said, I've, I've got friends that are Democrats, and, and I'd like to just sit and have a conversation with them. And he said, but what happens is we just start doing this. We start, we debate, we argue, and, and all of a sudden we, we, we're... We go, and what does Jesus say? If, if they're both followers of Jesus, that, that just can't be. We need to be helping people come to faith in Jesus Christ, and people aren't going to know us by whether we're conservative or liberal, Republican or Democrat. They're going to they're know us <laughs> by our love. Number three, by loving confrontation when someone goes wrong or goes astray. A while back, I was uh, back downstate in Grand Rapids, and uh, I saw a young man that, uh, that I, I know well. And when I was downstate, he was in my church, and, and, and I knew that he was a part of a small group. And as we chatted, he said to me, would you pray for me? And I said, I'd, I'd be happy to, but what do you want me to pray about? And then this is what he said. He said, you know I'm in a small group? I said, yeah, you've been in a small group for quite a while. Well, he said, what you don't know is this one of the guys in our small group has moved in with his girlfriend and he said his, his spiritual life is just, just taking a nosedive. He said he's, he's just not spiritually, and I need to go confront him. And he said I need to pray for God's wisdom on how to do it and to let him know I love him and I'm concerned about him and, and to just tell him I see that his, his spiritual life is going backwards and, and to just really challenge him if he loves this girl, marry her, but, but don't just live with her because, because it's biblically wrong. And he said, would you? And I said, certainly I'll pray about that. Certainly I'll pray about that. But my, my thinking was how much this young man must, must care for and love the buddy who's in the small group, that he'd be willing to risk the relationship with him to go confront him and to, and to say to him, you know what you're doing is wrong. But if we really love each other, we'll do that. Moms and dads, let me ask you a question. If you really love your children, don't you discipline them? But if we really love each other, wouldn't we hold each other accountable and, and try to speak that kind of truth to each other? Number four, by not placing politics or COVID or money or anything above our relationship with Christ, seeing each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, nothing should be higher. I'm retired, so I didn't pastor a church through, through the crisis of COVID. But 
pastors that I've talked to have told me that they've never experienced anything as difficult as COVID in the church. I've had pastors say, we couldn't win. There was one group of people that said, I won't come to church unless everybody wears a mask. And there was another group of people that said, well, I'm not going to come to church if I have to wear a mask. How do you win with that? How, how, how do you win? How do you... What that means is there's a whole bunch of people that stop coming to church. That means there's a whole lot of us that stop loving God and stop showing our love. Because you didn't do it my way. If you don't do it my way, you're wrong. Well, who says that? Where does that come from? Is that love? And I don't know where your church is at with all of that. As I look out, virtually, I don't think anybody here has a mask on. I still go to churches that people are still wearing some masks, and, and that's fine. My response is, that's their call. I don't have to live their life. I mean, if they feel they need to do that, good. They should do that. But why can't we just respect each other and let each other, just let each other make our own decisions and, and then move on? Number five, by celebrating others' achievements and joys. Um, sometimes in the church we can get jealous of one another. And, and from my perspective, if, if somebody else gets an advancement at their job or they get married or they give birth or, or whatever, I want to celebrate with them because that's a good thing. And God's done something great for them. And I want to celebrate with them. And I, I believe that's part of how we, we show love for one another, by celebrating those things. Number six says this. Be careful not to turn this around, what I'm saying this morning. I've been a pastor long enough to know this, that there's somebody here and probably several people here who will leave this service and this sermon and they'll say this, well, you have to love me because that's what Jesus told you to do. That's backwards. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's all backwards. Jesus told me to love you. He didn't tell me to make you love me. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the, the irresponsibility is always on me, not on, not on you. It's on every one of us. Jesus said, I give you a new command. Love one another. And just to be blunt, honest with you this morning, I struggle with that. There are some folks I am not drawn to. And I struggle with that. But, but I, I go back to what God says. It's not a suggestion. It's a command, <laughs> and I need to, I at times need to go in my own personal prayer of confession and say, Lord, you know how I feel about so-and-so. I'm not loving them. I'm frustrated with them. I wish they would button their lip. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, and I just got to say, God, I'm sorry. Help me to love them, because I don't. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. How? if you love one another. I tried to think of an illustration of through the ministry, and I, many came, but I, I want to share one with you that happened when I pastored the church in Portage. Um, we were a church about the same size as what this congregation is right here. And we had a young man by the name of Mark join our church, just a neat, neat, neat young man. And he got married, and Mark had a a very, very serious illness. 
It was the kind that because of it, you, you had a terrible time getting insurance, uh, health insurance. Even had a hard time getting a job because if people hired him, they'd have to give him insurance and, and the insurance was terribly expensive. And so Mark had a hard time getting a job and, and getting insurance. And then sure enough, uh, shortly after he got married, what happened? He had an attack of that disease and it put him in the hospital. And it not only put him in the hospital, but while he was in the hospital, he, he had septic poisoning happen to him, which put him in intensive care. And Mark almost died. Our church prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for Mark. And, and God did a miracle. And God spared his life. Uh, the doctors literally took out a whole section of his intestine. But they put them all back together again. And, and he recovered. And, and after being in intensive care for a long time, he went to a normal hospital room and then finally came out. There is no way Mark could pay his hospital bill. Our deacons came to a council meeting one night, and the chairman of our deacons said this, uh, the deacons have voted on this, and we're bringing it to council. We're asking the council to take it to the congregation, and this is our proposal. We're asking the entire congregation to fast one day a week, and the money that they would have spent on food, give it to the church. And when we've collected enough, we want to pay Mark's hospital bill. Do you have any idea how much money I'm talking about? Do you know how expensive hospitals are, especially intensive care? That motion passed unanimously. We took it to the congregation, and in, and in the amount of time that we did that, never I never heard one person complain about it. The congregation fasted one day a week, gave the money to the church, <laughs> Dave was the name of our, of our chairman of our deacons. When we finally had collected enough, the deacons kept track of that. And when there was finally enough, Dave wrote a check and, and took it down to the hospital. And when he got there, he, he said, I need to talk to the, uh, the, the person in charge of finances. So they took him to that person. And Dave sat down with him and said, I'm here to talk about Mark so-and-so and, and about his hospital bill. And the guy said, oh, whoop, whoop, whoop. I can't talk about that. That's private. And he said, I know that. I, I know that. He said, I, I'm not here to ask you for information. I have information I need to give you. And then he said, I know that Mark's hospital bill is, and he quoted it. The guy looked it up, and boy, it was right on target. And then he said, I'm here to pay it. And he pulled a check out of his pocket, slid it across, and said, Mark's a member of our church. Our church has been fasting one day a week, giving the money we would have spent on food, giving it to the church. We've collected enough. Here's the money. And he said the guy's response was, what? <laughs> so, so he explained it a second time, and the guy said to him, I've, I've never had anything like this happen before. And Dave said, I guess I don't really care if it's happened before or not. It's happening now. We want to do that. And, and here's the money. And the guy accepted it, and, and then Dave left. Can you imagine what the conversation was like that night at that man's dinner table with his wife and children? Better yet, at the next board meeting for that hospital, for Bronson Hospital, can you imagine what it was like when he said, board members, we've had something happen. I've never had happen before. I need to explain it to you. Do you... Do you understand how that would have just gone out like ripples through that whole community where people would have said, have you heard what those people do for each other? 
One of them couldn't begin to pay his hospital bill, and the congregation fasted one day a week, and they, and they put the money together, and they, they paid his bill. They'll know we're Christians, how? By the size of our congregation, by our politics, the amount that's in our checkbook. Here's the best of all, by our theological savvy. Oh, they'll know we're Christians if we've got our doctrine right. Will they? How will they know we're Christians? If you can't answer that, I'm in trouble. How have you shown the love of Jesus to those around you? Um, I'm, I'm not naive. There is nobody here who's doing this perfectly. By the way, behind the pulpit or in front of it, okay? There's nobody here who does that perfectly. I'm, I'm concerned about how many times we drop the ball and we don't show love, but we show disgust or frustration or anger or whatever. But God says, that's the way people are going to know my children. It's by love. How are you doing with that? How, how will you do after today? If this is a normal church, and I'm guessing that it is, I'm guessing that you have people here who don't talk to each other. I'm guessing that you've got some people here who, let me be really blunt. One of the churches I served downstate, there was a man in that church that disliked me so much that when I would say hi to him, he would literally walk around me and just walk out. Uh, and we just could never connect. That's just the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. And I don't know, I don't know any of that specifically, but, but if you're a normal church, there's some of it here. What are you going to do about it? It's a command. It's not a suggestion. And the most important thing is this. It's not a command of rod. It's a command of God. It's a huge difference there. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, I stand in awe of your word. <laughs> Jesus, you were never shy or hesitant <laughs> to speak the truth, to just put it out there, to just tell your disciples the way it is. Thank you for that. And Jesus, thank you for that command that you have given us on the last night of your life. Lord, show us how we can, show us how we can love better. Show us how we can be less self-centered and how we can think more about other people and what we can do for them and how we can help them. God, just give us that mindset, the way that you had it, Jesus. Help us to love. And Lord, if there are people here that need to apologize to one another, God, I pray that you would lay that so heavily on their heart that they would get that done, hopefully before the sun goes down tonight. In your powerful name I pray. Amen. My bulletin 
tells me that I'm supposed to give you a blessing, and then you're supposed to stand and sing a song. And that song is one that I've requested. It's an old chorus, <laughs> but it's the essence of what we've talked about today. They'll know we're Christians by our love. Before we sing that, would you stand and just receive God's blessing? God's blessing this morning is going to come to you from Ephesians chapter 3. These words blow me away. Just listen to them. And now unto Him, our God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all that you ask or imagine, because His power is at work in you. To Him be glory in the church and in this church and in His Son, Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. <laughs> Amen. Go with God's blessing. He loves you. <laughs> Believe it. Go with that blessing. Let's sing the song. They'll know we're Christians. <laughs>